This is Science Friday. I'm Ira Plato. And I'm Kathleen Davis. Ira, I have to ask you, do you have a favorite game? You know, if I think about it, my my favorite computer game would be Zelda. Why are you asking this? Well, I'm asking because most of us at this point have a game or two downloaded on our smartphones. I personally am partial to Candy Crush, which is a classic. Oh, yeah. Some of us uh, even have spent hours lost in game worlds. I personally really like Zelda as well. I also like Stardew Valley, where you are a, a little farmer in a town. And I'll spend hours going on quests, unlocking new levels, collecting badges. But what about when aspects of games start popping up in other parts of our lives, like work, school, or exercise? You know, I get this. I have this happening to me. I I try to make a game out of driving my electric car, Mm. seeing how I can max out the driving mileage before having to charge it. Well, our next guest has thought a lot about how the principles of gaming have crept into so many different corners of our lives. Adrian Hahn is the author of You've Been Played, How Corporations, Governments, and Schools Use Games to Control Us All. He's also the CEO and founder of the game developer Six to Start. He's based in Edinburgh in the United Kingdom. Adrian, welcome to Science Friday. Yeah, welcome. Great to be here. Nice to have you. Uh, Let me begin by asking you, throughout the book, you've used gamification to describe how game elements have worked their way into other places, like what we're talking about at work or at the gym or in your car. What is the history of the word? Tell me about that. The idea behind gamification has been around for a long time using kind of principles from games or board games or video games for you know decades if not centuries but the word gamification really only started being used about 15 years ago in its modern term to describe the way in which you know apps and websites like foursquare or linkedin or social media use game design elements for non-game purposes but you make a distinction in your book you talk about Uh, the difference between generic and coercive gamification. What is coercive gamification? So coercive gamification is where you have no choice but to play the game that is being put in front of you. So uh, a lot of gamification, like the ones you have in health and fitness, in an app like Strava or an app like Duolingo, you are choosing to use the app and you can choose not to use the app. But if you work, if you drive for Uber, if you you know work at a lot of companies, then you have no choice but to undergo the gamification of the workplace that these employers have put in. And that's what I call coercive. I want to ask a little bit about your background because you are a game designer. You created this incredibly popular smartphone fitness game, which is called Zombies Run. Uh, and it turns running into a game and you are you know, running to escape pursuit of zombies. So it makes me wonder what made you as a game decide- designer decide to look more critically at this role of gamification in society? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I, I never really wanted to write this book. I, I hoped <laughs> that the sort of generic gamification and coercive gamification would eventually just go out of fashion after people realized it didn't work that well. And it seemed like that might happen in the early 2010s. But then in the last few years, after I started seeing it crop up in so many places, especially in the workplace and in schools and in governments, I started thinking, wow, this this is not going away. I think people 
People are aware of it where they encounter it in their own lives, but maybe they aren't aware of how pervasive it has become in other parts of the world. So, and that's not just in you know the the US or the UK or Canada. I mean, in India, Indonesia, you know, China. I mean, gamification is is huge. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most obvious examples of gamification in our lives is with fitness apps. I personally. Every time I go for a run or go for a bike ride, I use Strava, which tracks your mileage and it gives me a congratulations if I beat an old personal record or if I've gone farther than I have before. I mean, why do you think fitness was so ripe to be gamified? Well, fitness is a really good example because it's something that people are highly motivated to want to do themselves, right? I think people, everyone sort of understands that it's better to do more walking than no walking. But it's also one of these activities which is just often extremely boring and, and quite <laughs> hard to to motivate yourself to do. And so while people really want to become a runner or they want to become a walker, you know, getting up on that rainy Sunday morning and putting on your shoes, I mean it's really hard. And so anything that can give you those training wheels to get going uh, is a big help. And so I think that's why gamification has become a big part of fitness. Let's talk about some of the negatives because, you know, every time you have some positives, there are negatives to balance it out. It seems like it couldn't really hurt to encourage people to walk a few more steps. Isn't isn't that what the gamification 10,000 steps was all about? Yeah. So, you know, the issue is where it's not able to make distinctions for individuals. So, for example, my Apple Watch just a couple of days ago said, hey, do you want to go and complete this October challenge where you can win the shiny badge if you do more exercise than you did last month? And I did a lot of exercise last month. So it probably <laughs> wouldn't be healthy for me to, to do more this month, you know? And you see this a lot in uh, health and fitness apps, the concept of streaks where you get an award or recognition if you work out for 10 days in a row, 50 days in a row, 100 days in a row. And of course, if you know about exercise and fitness, you know that that's not a good idea, really. I mean, you should be taking rest days, but people can get really compelled into earning those badges and hurting themselves in the process. Yeah, yeah, I get uh, my Apple Watch tells me in the middle of the night, time to stand <laughs> up, right? You get those? <laughs> yes, I get that as well. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm wondering if there's actually scientific evidence to back up that playing games, gamifying activities makes us more likely to do things that maybe are a little boring or that we just flat out don't want to do. It's really quite mixed because there's so many different kinds of gamification. When we look at the studies and, and sort of meta studies that have been done on gamification, it does seem like there can be a positive effect on people's behavior, at least in the short term. And that's because people are just excited about the change. But I think that an issue that we see, especially with generic gamification, is that eventually people just get bored and they they might even get a little bit less motivated. You know, if you imagine giving people 10 points for picking up a box and putting it into a tray at Amazon and you just give them a, a sticker every time they get a thousand points. That might seem interesting for the first week or the first month, but after a few months, you might realize nothing's actually changed about my job. And so that thin layering 
of gamification is not really going to change anything. Tell me a bit more about how games are used in the workplace. You brought up Amazon. How are companies like Amazon using gamification to squeeze even more productivity from their workers? Amazon is a really interesting case. They don't make people play these games, but they basically put these screens, uh, as far as we know, because Amazon don't let reporters inside their warehouses, really. But they put these screens by people stations. And if you turn them on, then they'll show a game. And the game, basically, uh, it tracks how much work you're doing, whether that's picking boxes or packing boxes or that sort of thing. And it might let you collect uh, monsters, or it might let you fly your dragon faster. There's many hmm. different games that you can do. And often you're competing against other people in the warehouse or in other warehouses. And so you might get bonuses if you return from break earlier. you know. And of course, you do better in the game the faster you work or the harder you work. So it's directly related to your performance. Of course, you could say, well, isn't that a good thing? You know, wh why not make the game more interesting? And I think that's an interesting question because there probably are some people who are motivated by these games. At the same time, in interviews with Amazon workers, some people say it just makes the tedium even worse because you just realize how pointless the, the work is. There was a, a TikTok video that went around uh, a month or two ago. And it basically showed someone uh, saying, uh, I feel really guilty about leaving my Amazon warehouse job because of all the monsters I collected. <laughs> um, and, and then you see their collection of monsters that they they uh, earned by by working. And obviously, the funny thing with that is that they, they go and say in the comments, I realize that this is just, they're just manipulating me, <laughs> you know, to work harder and uh, get attached to these monsters. And yet I still did it. So people can be aware of the effect of these games and still be manipulated. So we talked a little bit about how in exercise apps, the gamification aspect can really push people past their physical abilities or push them past what they should be doing. Does, say, what Amazon is doing have physical repercussions? I mean, it's hard to know because only really Amazon has that data. We do know about rates of injuries at Amazon warehouses, and I believe they're quite high compared to the industry. But there are other examples where people have talked more openly about this. So for example, at Uber, they have a whole gamified system of compensation where basically I think each week or every two weeks, drivers can choose a quest to sign up to. And if they complete the quest, which might be driving 50 trips or 60 trips, then they earn a bonus. And it's funny, when I mentioned that I was writing this book to an Uber driver, they actually told me all about this. And I said, well, don't you like getting the bonus? He was like, ah, you know, I just feel like I have no control over how this really works because they're giving you this mission, but it's not really entirely within the driver's control to fulfill that mission. And what's interesting, of course, is they also call it a quest. And so they're using the language of video games to essentially obfuscate compensation. And I think that has obviously a big problem for people just trying to understand how much they're being paid. But also, I think people associate ideas of video games with fun and with choice. And so when you see those words at work, 
it's hard not to think, oh yeah, I should go and complete this quest because quests are good things and I enjoy them when I play quests, you know, in a video game. This is Science Friday from WNYC Studios. In case you're just joining us, we're talking to Adrian Hahn, author of You've Been Played, How Corporations, Governments, and Schools Use Games to Control Us All. You know, I was surprised to learn as I was reading your book is how gamification has been integrated into schools. I mean, you talk about an app that's used to monitor classroom behavior. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, this is one of the most surprising things I learned uh, researching the book. There's an app called Class Dojo, which is used in apparently 95% of US schools and schools throughout the world. Wow. And it really does two things. The first thing is pretty unobjectionable. It's basically a private social network for teachers, parents, and students to share homework and that sort of thing. But the second part of it is a behavior management app. And the way it works is that teachers will go and set up their class and they'll set up a grid of their students. And then they can go and reward or deduct points to students based on their behavior. So you can set up any list of uh, rewards or punishments. So maybe it might be that if a student has been working hard and being quiet, then you give them 20 points. If they have been disruptive, minus 10 points. If they go to the toilet too much, minus 50 points, which has actually happened. It's not as if we haven't had gold stars or marbles or whatever in schools before. That's, that's not a new thing. But when you digitize these things, when you add them to apps, and when you give them uh, unlimited memory, it changes the way in which people respond to rewards and punishments. And if you look at interviews with the students and with parents, you know, actually some parents like this. <laughs> um, they think that it helps control the kids more. And there's one kid who said, oh, I really like it because it's like when you give a dog a treat for good behavior, <laughs> oh you know? And so... I think what it comes down to is, is this how we want to motivate children through points? I understand why teachers use it because they just have a classroom of a lot of kids and they'll use any tool they can get. At the same time, you do see students saying, I just feel incredibly anxious because I'm just trying to go and, you know, keep my points. There was one blog post on the class dojo website, which they deleted. But uh, it said teachers should consider adding a fake student in the app that they can <sighs> deduct points from. Wow. Because when you deduct points, it makes this sort of negative, you know, sad noise. And oh when students hear the sad noise, they all get quiet because they don't get punished. So, you know, that's what's happening. So finally, after listening to all of this, I'm wondering, who is winning when we gamify so many aspects of our lives? I mean, who's benefiting when we share this personal data? Is it the company? You know, it depends on the gamification. I think that generally speaking, it's the company that's doing the gamifying. And what are they gaining? Well, usually they're gaining a way to control their workers and to save costs. And that sounds incredibly dystopian. You know, one of the things that is a problem in a lot of gig economy jobs is it's very difficult to talk to a manager or talk to a human full stop uh, at the company. And instead, the interface that you have with the company is essentially through the app or through the game. 
And so by presenting feedback and objectives as a game, the company is able to basically deflect criticism and save money by having fewer managers. And it's also able to save money potentially by obfuscating compensation. So it's not always the case that this is how it happens, but it does seem to be the case in a lot of companies. Well, uh, Adrian, we have run out of time. I want to thank uh, you for taking time to be with us today. It's, it's a wonderful book. Thank you. You've been played how corporations, governments, and schools use games to control us all. Adrian Hahn, CEO and founder of the game developer Six to Start. If you want to read an excerpt from the book, go to sciencefriday.com slash gamification. 